Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by CBOE RMC. Come to the CBOE Risk Management Conference February 29th to March 2nd at the Hyatt Regency Coconut Point, Florida. Register and learn more at CBOERMCUS.com. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits unexpectedly declining last week to a three-month low. Initial jobless claims dropped by 7,000 to 262,000 in the week that ended February 13th, the lowest since November 21st. The relief rally that swept through U.S. equities is entering a fourth day with U.S. stock index futures higher after the recent recovery lifted the year's most battered companies. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up four points. Dow E-mini futures up 50. And Nasdaq E-mini futures up 16. DAX in Germany is up 1.4 percent. Ten-year Treasury up 132nd. The yield 1.81 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.74 percent. Nymex crude oil up 2.3% or 71 cents to 31.37 a barrel. Comex gold down 4 tenths percent or $4.40 to 12.07 an ounce. The euro $1.1092, the yen 113.78. And Walmart stores down 4% after it lowered its annual sales forecast after the strong dollar pulled down the value of overseas revenue. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Again, futures up 5 a churn to the market. It's 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Jonathan Bernstein, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Governor Nikki Haley is endorsing Marco Rubio, joining Tim Scott and Trey Gowdy as a big three of South Carolina conservative Republicans in his corner. Party actors seem to be finally deciding on Rubio. Will it do him any good? Perhaps. A small bump over current polls would allow Rubio to finish second in South Carolina. Unless the polls are wrong, he would need a much larger surge to catch Donald Trump. Strong late shifts in presidential primaries aren't all that unusual, but there's no sign of it happening so far. But Rubio does not need to win South Carolina to be nominated. He just has to bring Trump's share of the vote down or to knock out his competitors to set up a one-on-one showdown. A three-man race in which Trump gets about a third of the vote everywhere would be tough but possible for Rubio to win. If Trump gets two-fifths, it would be even harder. So if getting Nikki Haley helps him even a little... It could be a big deal indeed. I'm Jonathan Bernstein. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Michael McKee did the minutes yesterday. I want him to jump in with Chris Rupke, Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi. But, Chris, I want to give you a victory lap for the resiliency you have called for within the American economy. It's there. We all agree with that. But is it at a new terminal value that we didn't see four, five, six years ago. Are we heading towards a point that's a lower, more dampened point than what we would have guessed, say, five years ago? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I when I go out and talk to people, I can point out that various economic statistics are strong. Unemployment rates at generational lows, jobless claims are very close to the lowest level since the 1970s, car sales are 18 million, but then I always get back in my face. Somebody in the audience saying, uh, you know, why doesn't it feel good out there? And I don't really have a lot to, <laughs> to say to that. I mean, economics doesn't have much to say to that. But, you know, we're more of a risk management oriented you know, country, uh, markets, uh, financial institutions, even general businesses. 
we we seem to be more worried about the future than than we used to be. I mean, the risk management profession didn't really get going until 20 years ago anyway. Anyway, I was very disturbed to see in the minutes that um you know, they're almost changing gears here, saying uh, yeah. increasing the downside risks to the outlook. I mean, my gosh, did you see what the ECB said today? Uh, that in the minutes they said uh, they got to be careful not to convey unduly gloomy message. Well, well, I think when you point to downside risks, you're kind of risking uh, frightening people, frankly. But Mike, well, you saw several nuggets yesterday and came up with a few observations, Michael McKee. Well, uh, to be fair, Chris, when the Fed was actually meeting, fair. was the worst uh, of the, you know, whatever was going on in financial markets, etc. So um, it's it's fair to say if that continued, there would be downside risks, which is is kind of what they said. Uh, I guess the issue now is are if those risks persists. passed? Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing to me, though, I mean, it felt pretty bad. I have to admit, uh, uh, and the negative rates angle, uh, you know, tortured people and made people concerned about the downside. But I mean, when you look at the stock market, I mean, year to date, it was only down ten percent. I mean, ten percent is ten percent. But it felt the commentary and our own fears, myself included. It, we were acting like the the Dow Industrials were down 20% year to date. That that used to be a financial crisis. Now we're getting worried if you know stocks tumble seven or eight percent year to date. I think we're just more easily alarmed than we used to be for some reason. I like that phrase, Michael McKee. They're a great band, evilly alarmed. <laughs> well, it does seem that uh, whatever happened is is wearing off. But yeah. then the question becomes, do we get back to fast enough growth that there is an inflation threat that would then push the Fed to react? Jim Bullard suggesting last night that inflation expectations have dropped so far that the answer would be no, even if we do see uh, continued strong job growth. Yeah, he's become a disappointment. I always relied on him to be a hawk and uh, talk up the need to normalized rates, and now he's looking uh, in the rearview mirror at inflation. I mean, inflation is the probably the slowest-moving economic variable we have out there. You know, it, it responds with a, a, an incredible lag. And the, the thing he seems to be pointing to, interestingly, is basically these inflation expectations from the market, they're only down because the bond market rallied as Janet Yellen said, uh, thinking there's a recession. Well, you know, if the stock market has called nine of the last five recessions, the bond market has called 25 of the last five recessions. The bond market really gets going. Its juices get flowing. Uh, people buy bonds when they think the economy is weak and we're in a recession. So I, I don't think inflation's too low. And if it, it the, the public doesn't care that core PCE inflation is 1.4%. They're oblivious to it. It, it. It's kind of off the radar for them right now. It's not a sign that the economy is not prosperous, mm -hmm. the fact that inflation is only 1%. I don't get it. Curve, uh, uh, curve what you do best, Chris. No, Chris, what you do best is link fixed income dynamics into the American economy. What does the yield curve signal to you right now? Well, the yield curve is a bit of a mess. <laughs> uh, fair. Fully fair. Yeah, I, I think all these markets, the fixed income market's incredibly distorted. Uh, you know, there's a lot of corporate bonds being issued. People are swapping to 
they they want to pay the lower uh, floating rate here. I think because the Fed's kept rates down here at zero for so long, uh, it's distorting how people finance themselves, and so. I, I don't really trust the, the yield curve to indicate much. Anyway, it, it, the old uh, recession signal that the New York Fed did a lot of research on, you know, 10, 15 years ago right. even, uh, it has to actually invert, you know, I think it's one-year bills to uh, yields to 10-year uh, okay, treasury. I'll, I'll go so with that. It hasn't inverted yet, so no recession. In, in the time we've got left with you, do you have a handle on where negative rates actually impinge on any given nation? I mean, are we miles no. away from it? Uh, I mean, for every country, is a little bit different. You know, it's Japan, fair. I'm yeah. shocked that they did that. But, you know, Kuroda likes to to shock and awe the markets. I don't know if he got, you know, unfortunately, central banks generally are running out of ways to wow the markets and make the public consumers, businesses, to inject them with renewed confidence. But for the U.S., it's absurd for us to lower rates to negative territory because, I mean, negative rates is supposed to increase bank lending. But our bank lending's running at double-digit rates. Banks are yeah. lending like there's no tomorrow. There's no need to do negative rates to okay. encourage bank lending Chris Rupke, here. You know, thank you so much. Chris Rupke, Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi, uh, always with an optimism on the American economy. Mike, what's the update on your reading on negative rates? Chris alludes there the debate that maybe negative rates will come here. I don't see that. In no, the we're literature. wasting our time talking about it. It's yeah, I don't see it in the literature. I want to make that clear, folks. I was saying this last night over a beverage of my choice. We're, we try every day not to be hyperbolic and hysterical. I mean, I don't in anywhere in the literature, Mike, see negative rates coming to the U.S. Uh, no, uh, the Fed doesn't want negative rates. There are a lot of reasons why it, it wouldn't work here. Uh you just, but you can just point to the starting fact, with service sector inflation is one. You reason. can just point to the fact that um, there are five countries that have imposed negative rates, and there are like thirteen that have uh, negative rates in practice, and uh, not one of them has seen a pickup in growth yeah. or inflation. So it's it, it is an ex, it would be an experiment, and uh, yeah. why experiment? That was great talking with John Tish earlier. Uh, I hope you like that, folks. Look for that out on Bloomberg uh, a Digital. Uh, a conversation on the hotel business, whether it's – I was struck by the, the the quick study I did for rooms at the end of March of a 1000 bucks for two nights yeah. versus $500 for two nights versus what Airbnb would do for my kids. It never occurs to me to book Airbnb. It's, I always look to at me, it's hotels. massively yeah. generational. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where we we're are. We're the wrong one. Yeah, <laughs> we, we know are, that. We're on the, the hotel. We're on the John Tish side of things. Uh, right now we're on a, a green screen side. Futures up six. Dow futures up sixty-one. Another hour, a February hour of Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs> 